0: CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up to date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media.
1: NFL Report with Philip Wolf and Aaron Hallischuk is a Black Press Media podcast.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the NFL Report. I'm Erin Halaszczuk, a journalist with Black Press Media. We are now four weeks into the 2023 season, and I'm joined today with Vancouver Island Daily and Parksville Qualicum Beach News Editor, Philip Wolf to discuss all things NFL, and of course, Taylor Swift. I just had to throw her name in there for the ratings boost. Philip, welcome back.
1: I am a huge Swifty.
0: I think we were talking about buying her shorts the other day. Thankfully, this is a podcast and you can't see us wear those or else our ratings might just absolutely plummet.
1: There will exactly. be social media posts available of mine, so we'll be
0: good. watch Watch out Instagram. So we're a little bit into the season. We're four weeks in, but I feel like we have a lot of both on the field and off the field drama to catch up on, including Taylor Swift, of course. But let's begin chronologically with last night's game, Monday night primetime game with the Seahawks versus the Giants the Seahawks streak of winning at MetLife stadium continues now and they got an incredible, I think record tying of Lynn Sachs on poor Daniel Jones. What were some of your takeaways from the game last night?
1: First and foremost, I haven't seen too much of the giants this year. That was a dirty game. Mm -hmm. It was just a, a, like you said, a dirty game. There's cheap shots and everything and people yapping at each other. It was a little sad actually because the giants are terrible and to be so dirty on top of that it just struck me as a little odd you mentioned the 11 sacks obviously that shows how poor daniel jones is running for his life but i think if you said at the beginning of the year the seahawks will be three and one after four games especially after how they started the year i think you'd have to be pretty happy with that
0: 100 percent, and you're right about some of the kind of the dirty shots in the game I always just think back to the hit on Gino Smith, and that almost looked like a little bit of a late hit or just a little bit out of bounds. What was your take on that?
1: It wasn't a horse collar, but it had all the effects of a horse collar. The way that he grabbed him from behind and landed on his legs, that's essentially why they wanted to eliminate the horse collar. And I can see why Gino was upset about it. They haven't issued any updates on his knee or anything going into the buy, but yeah, I, I just thought it was a dirty hit and I could see why Gino was upset.
0: Very much. And speaking of another upset player, Jamal Adams, I think he only played maybe eight plays, if that, before he was pulled out of the game by the team doctor for a taking a knee in the head. And of course, concussion protocol reigns high, at least superficially in the NFL. Do you think he will actually finish a full game with the Seahawks this year? that's
1: your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) I, and I I really think that they need the Jamal Adams of a couple of years ago, the blitzing fiend. I I don't know that he's outstanding in coverage, but Mm -hmm. a weapon on defense and then they'll need him. And if anything, at least he got a, a taste of it. They still won. So there's no harm, no foul in that case.
0: That's true. Yeah. The bye week might be coming at a good time for the Seahawks there. Looking back here at a week with your Dolphins, and I'm sure even though they lost this week, the last week with blowout game seventy to twenty over the Denver Broncos was an amazing game to watch, especially if you're, if you're a Dolphins fan. But the Broncos now sit at one and three, and Miami lost to the Bills this week. What's your evaluation, your your first quarter evaluation of the Dolphins as they stand so far?
1: I don't think they're as good as. They looked against Denver and I don't think they're as bad as they looked against Buffalo. So they're somewhere in between. I think it's always interesting that when teams played other teams within their own division, you look at the games against new England and the games against Buffalo is those teams knew how to defend against the dolphins. Whereas San Diego and, and Denver, Denver can't really defend anybody, but Denver, they just struggled to play. And I, I think what Miami is gonna to need to do is adapt. When teams play three safeties deep and they take away the big plays, they'll definitely have to make some changes. I think they can definitely do that. The biggest issue against Buffalo really was the fact that Miami's offensive line was just decimated. Absolutely uh, lost Connor Williams, their starting center. They lost Tron Armstead, their left tackle and Liam Eikenberg, who filled in at center, may be the worst player in the league.
0: It's funny that you bring that up because I think back to the Monday night game where half, if not almost all of the Seahawks offensive line got injured and got replaced, yet they still ended up winning. Is that a testament to the Seahawks second string offensive line or is that just a reflection of how bad the team that they were playing, being the Giants, were?
1: I think it's both, but this was the second week that they had a chance to play together with mm-hmm. that lineup. So there's a little bit of continuity, and the Giants are horrible. I, I still like what the Dolphins have, what they can do. The one thing that I haven't been impressed with is Vic Fangio's defense. Supposed to be this big defensive guru, and they hung poor Kohu out to dry on the corner against Stefan Diggs, who just ate him for lunch, but he functions better defending in the slot, and they just left him out there all game. It was just a bizarre defensive game plan to me.
0: Very much which is a great segue because I was going to ask you a little bit more about defensive coordinators in the league, specifically the Broncos. With that awful loss against Miami, I know that there's been some calls for defensive coordinator Vance Joseph's job to be on the line. Is it too soon? Do you think that he should be let go? Or do you think it's just indicative of something a little bit larger that's going on in Denver?
1: I think four games is a little bit soon. But they've absolutely been terrible. I, I do think Sean Payton will eventually clean house yeah. and bring in all of his own guys. The The most interesting thing that I find with the Broncos is Russell Wilson's actually playing not bad. They're one and three and terrible. If you, if you look at Russell Wilson's stats, he's, everybody's, heaping, we go back to the Dolphins, everybody's heaping praise on Tua Tungavailoa. Mm-hmm. Potential MVP candidate, this and that and the other thing. The Dolphins are doing well. After four games, he's got nine touchdowns and three interceptions. And Russell Wilson has nine touchdowns and two interceptions. And everyone still wants to run him out of town. There's just so much hate for Russell Wilson.
0: There really is. Somewhat self-inflicted. I know that there's still the joke about him doing lunges on the team plane and is still floating around a little bit. So maybe slightly well-deserved.
1: A 100%. And I think you and I have some enjoyment at his expense in that case, but I don't think Sean Payton likes him. We've talked about this before. I do think Sean Payton wants his, his own guy, but for me, my takeaway is Payton flapped his gums and said, Nathaniel Hackett did the worst coaching job ever. I enjoyed seeing Sean Payton step in it much more than I ever have Russell Wilson struggle.
0: The irony of that entire game was fantastic. Purely coming from a fan's perspective, as well as being beaten 70 to 20 by the former team's water boy, who is now the coach of the Dolphins. So I just loved the storyline in that game in a variety of different ways. But keeping with questionable teams, if you tuned in late to the Kansas City-New York Jets game on Sunday, one might have thought that it was a really good game against one of the best teams of the league versus one of the worst teams of the league. Looking at Coach Robert Sala and what he's doing now, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers out of the game or out of the season and dealing with Zach Wilson, I know Zach Wilson's play was praised a little bit in that game. But if you think about it, he is a professional quarterback, one of 32 in the NFL. To just be average or mediocre, is that worthy of praise in your opinion? And and where do the Jets go from here from the quarterback position?
1: I think the Jets are stuck with Wilson for now. The trade deadline is October 31st, so they yes. still have a little bit of time to bring someone in, but by that point, they may be just completely out of the race. Yeah, I thought it was odd that Wilson was decent, and they were, oh my gosh, we have a decent quarterback. Right. There's no team that, that has legitimate Super Bowl expectations, but and the Jets are in a, a tough division as well, yeah. but... Yeah, I, I thought that was a little odd. If Wilson does play like that, I think they do have a good enough defense to win some games. The drop off from like an Aaron Rodgers to his Wilson remains vast and they're in some deep trouble.
0: And I know I asked you this on the last episode, but a tiny little changes happened with Colin Kaepernick being added to the BC Lions negotiation list. Any updates to your thought of him joining the Jets at all?
1: Oh, there's zero chance that he'll fail again. He's been out for seven years and he lost like 17 of the last 22 games he started. He's never completed 60% of his passes. I just think too much time has elapsed. I do think he was blackballed. I legitimately think Mm -hmm. that they purposely didn't give him a chance, but unfortunately now just too much time has passed. Mm -hmm. I would really like to see a team give him a chance just so that there can be some closure. If he is good enough to play, which I don't think he is at this point, having missed so much time, then wonderful. It makes for a great story. But if he isn't, then it essentially closes the book on that. And I think that's more or less what everyone else wants.
0: I think you're right, for sure. And I know we can't leave that Kansas City Jets game, of course, without talking at least a tiny bit. Let's leave it to maybe 30 seconds on Taylor Swift. But since the pop star has basically been Travis Kelsey's cheer captain for the past couple of weeks. I know viewership and interest in the NFL has just absolutely skyrocketed. His jersey has been selling like crazy. The sort of female demographic for viewership has gone through the roof. Is this a really good thing for the NFL? Or do you think this will have any sort of lasting effect for viewership? Or is it purely a publicity stunt?
1: Right now, it's a publicity stunt. I don't think there's any way it's sustainable unless Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey remain an item. Right. Because then for the rest of his career, as long as she's at the game, it will be an issue. And the NFL is a business. More power to them. They're literally pandering to all these Swifties on their website, running her picture on the NFL website. And their social media followings have made exponential gains. And If you're running a business, that's nothing but good. I have no issue with them capitalizing on that. The one thing I don't like is that after every play or every time Travis Kelsey, they cut to the box where Taylor Swift is. And I wouldn't care if it was Taylor Swift or anybody else. I just hate that. They do that quite often if a kid is playing in his first game or something like that in a variety of sports. It's almost even worse in baseball because after every pitch, they'll cut to the parents. Cut to the
0: parents, yep.
1: Come on, we get it. You know, that, and that's what it is. I think at some point it will be, come on, we get it with the Taylor Swift thing. But for now, it's still fun. And anything that increases interest in your game, especially among women fans, I don't know how that can be bad. I can see some hardcore NFLers poo-pooing the whole thing, but I just think it's fun. How about you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you mean about it being just more annoying at this point because you're cutting away from the game. And I know they do that quite often at the Super Bowl, doing the little flashes of celebrities in the stands and things like that. And that's expected because it's the Super Bowl, but you're right. It gets to the point where it's more annoying than pleasurable. So if I did have one beef, I agree completely with you. I just want to focus a little bit more on the game and then all of the Taylor Swift stuff can be on social or before or after the fact, but other than that, I think if it could get more viewership, especially out of women, why not?
1: The only thing I don't like is when they do that stuff at the expense of replays or yes. explanations or analysis or anything like that. If there's a play that you need your rules analyst and instead you're showing yeah. a skybox full of celebrities, that takes away from my enjoyment. I know they don't care about one particular viewer, especially if, as you say, there's a 63% in a demographic jump but at some point it becomes too much. I agree.
0: Absolutely. So let's continue with our game that I think I started last week and our last episode of overreaction or not an overreaction. So just some quick takes on what you think here. With the win from Buffalo, are the Miami Dolphins playoff hopes a little bit less shiny? Is it an overreaction or not an overreaction?
1: That's an overreaction. I think Buffalo is one of the top five teams in the league. Miami always struggles in Buffalo. I think they're 1-11 and in their last 12 games there. The big game there, we'll see when they come back to Miami. No, I I think that's an overreaction. I I still think the Dolphins, I don't think their chances have, have changed at all. I think they've gone from the flavor of the week when they scored the 70 points back to just a good team, and that's where they should be.
0: Okay, Uh, I agree. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction at this point. The game against Buffalo was a bit humbling, as it maybe should have been, because Buffalo is an amazing team. But I think at this point in the season, it's way too early to say that they are not going to be playoff contenders, because I think they absolutely will be sticking with somebody we talked a little bit about before and taking the limelight off of maybe after his career is over. Overreaction, not an overreaction. Russell Wilson trade will keep him out of the Hall of Fame if he finishes his career in Denver.
1: I think that's an overreaction. I think we often tend to view these things in the prism of the moment. Right now, Russ is struggling. But if he plays the way that he has so far this year for the rest of the year, then I think he's a little back on track. And you also take in the entire legacy once they're done yes right now everyone's enjoying his struggles but once he's done he'll probably play another four or five more years that gives him a few more chances to get back to the playoffs winning only one I think he was going to be borderline anyway yes I think had they gave Marsh on the ball like they should have in Mm -hmm. the second loss then I think he's a cinch he's a lead pipe cinch but with the one he's going to be borderline anyway so I I think people enjoy it, but I don't know that it really changes his chances.
0: Okay. Reaction over reaction with a fully guaranteed contract of $82 million is Daniel Jones, the worst quarterback in the NFL right now.
1: I don't think he's even close to the worst quarterback. He might have a tough contract. He's got a lot of skills. I think he's a bottom tier starter (laughs) in the NFL, but he's a legitimate starter we've talked about this previously is so much for a quarterback comes down to situation. And last year, I don't know that they had a good decent year as a team and he was fine, but uh, this year he's got no offensive line. I'm you think back to David Carr, who was the number one overall pick and a surefire stud and everything. And he went to just a terrible situation and he got the crap beat out of him for years and years. And that was the end of it. And Daniel Jones is just running for his life now. So Brian Dable on the sidelines yelling at him. I thought that was sports. So how about you guys take care of your line first? If you want to pay a guy 40 million bucks, how about you protect him?
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Situation is crucial. And I think a lot of people obviously had him questioning about it. But if you watch the game closely, like he had zero time in the pocket, 11 sacks is pretty indicative of that. So Be curious to see if they change the O line a little bit and what might happen. But yeah, not looking good for the Giants. One more here with the Patriots also sitting at one and three, and that offense not looking great. Is Bill Belichick's career essentially done after the next season or two? Overreaction or not an overreaction?
1: I think that's an overreaction because he wants to linger and hang about until he passes Don Shula's record. I think as long as he wants to stay, I think Robert Kraft, the owner in New England, will let him stay. But he certainly doesn't look as good without a franchise quarterback, that's for sure.
0: Mac Jones, an overpaid, overhyped quarterback as well?
1: Again, it's a tough situation for a young guy to come in where I don't know that he's an upper-tier starter either. And he comes in and there's all these expectations on him and he's struggling. And again, I really think that Belichick, if you look at his record without Tom Brady, and you could say that about almost any coach without a a franchise quarterback, but if you look at uh, Belichick's record without Tom Brady, it's not very good.
0: That's right. Absolutely. And it's just interesting going back to something that I know we've talked about previously with these first round draft pick quarterbacks who get thrown into the league right away, as opposed to some of the other ones, not necessarily first round, some first round like Jordan Love, but then you think about on the opposite side of things, Brock Purdy for the 49ers who do sit a year or two or three behind those franchise quarterbacks and look what develops from there. Is that, do you think the key to really looking at a, sustaining your quarterback position for the long term is not starting them right away as soon as they get drafted? I think it depends. For me, a lot of it comes down to
1: how much have they played in college. Mm -hmm. I like the three and four year starters. I like the guys who have thrown upwards of a thousand passes or had 50 starts. Those are the ones that the game isn't going to be as difficult for. And Brock Purdy comes into a situation where he's got amazing weapons and a strong offensive line and the best running back in the game. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Who doesn't come in there and fare reasonably well that's just part and parcel of it I'm actually surprised that CJ Stroud is doing so well in Houston Mm -hmm. you come in they've got Laramie Tunsil they was the best left tackle one of the best left tackles in the game it's so situational and I think you can start the quarterbacks early as long as the situation is right you look at Anthony Richardson in Indianapolis Indianapolis isn't a terrible team and they've got some really decent offensive linemen, that's what has to happen. I, I would prefer that my young quarterbacks sit at least five or six games. Even Patrick Mahomes sat out a year. It just really depends on the situation and the coach. There, There's no cookie cutter. It, it is really hard. The situation just matters so
0: much. No, it's so true. And I think we're very much seeing that develop right now. So just to wrap up this episode of the podcast, As we sometimes do, we'll switch gears a little bit and look at the CFL, the Canadian Football League, as it's wrapping up the regular season here. Friday is a bit of a crucial game for the Western teams as the Lions take on the Bombers. So the two top teams in the West, and they've played each other twice already this season, each taking one win each. So essentially this game on Friday will basically determine who's going to take the Western spot and go to the Western final, who do you have to win between these two top-rated teams in the CFL West?
1: I'm going to go with my heart and take the Lions. I know you'll see the opposite. I just think at home, I, I think I would go with the Lions. It's a coin toss. How about you?
0: I think so. It's. I think what it's going to come down to is I think BC has probably a little bit of a stronger, I wouldn't say necessarily receiver group, but their air attack has been absolutely amazing. Whereas Bombers quarterback Zach Claris is a little bit hot and cold this season. He's, I would say the consistency that's been there for the past couple of years is gone a little bit. So I think maybe Winnipeg's strength is in its defense. If it could stop some of the BC big plays, then they might have a chance, but you're right. I think it's very close. It's going to be a good game to watch, at least to kick off Thanksgiving weekend that about does it for this episode. Thanks so much, Philip. And we will take a look in a couple of weeks and recap and maybe delve in a little bit more to the Swifty effect. And we will chat soon.
1: Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> NFL report with Philip Wolf and Aaron Hallischuk is a black press media podcast.
0: From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious, just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today.